Awesome. Hey, why don't you turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 3? That's where we're going to land this morning. Uh, I want to talk this morning a little bit about uh, the kind of person that God uses. And um, we're going we're gonna to examine the text this morning and we're going to hopefully hear the word of the Lord. Um, really have enjoyed even just the study aspect of getting into the book of Judges. Uh, one of the things that's to me, really fascinating about the Bible is that it is eternally contemporary. Um, so a lot of times you would be perhaps tempted to believe that a book like Judges, uh, which is in some ways so different, um, it's about going to war and there's so, there's so many battles. Uh, it's a pretty exciting book, but in some ways it reads like an ancient text because it is, and some of that some of that blood and guts uh, that come out, uh, it, it gets on us. And we're tempted to believe because of maybe the violence or maybe just um, the way the text is written. We're tempted to believe that it's, that it's a book about like simple, primitive, tribal people who lived a couple thousand years ago. And one of the things that's really fascinating to me is that it is not a book about simple, tribal people who lived a couple thousand years ago. It's actually about us. It's profoundly contemporary. It's profoundly contemporary. It's contemporary because it deals with the human heart. And and the issue that that comes up over and over again in the book of Judges, and I hope you're reading along, and if you are reading along, the thing that you will eventually grow sick of reading in the book of Judges is, and the people of God did evil and served foreign gods and became oppressed. And really that's that's a that's a contemporary issue. It's not a it's not a ancient issue, it's a contemporary issue uh, our hearts are so swayed by culture and it's this is really a book about what it means to live in a culture that doesn't regard god and doesn't love god and what happens it's so easy to lose connection and 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 how god delivers people so it's a contemporary book and uh this morning we're going to look at uh the first three judges the first three judges appear in chapter three uh, the first three judges are number one, Othniel, number two, Ehud, and number three, I almost said number four, which was awesome. Number one, Othniel, number two, Ehud, and then number three, Shamgar. Um, really, really awesome guys there. Also, I know there are a lot of uh, ladies at the vineyard who are pregnant right now, and I just want to say that these are three names, good, solid biblical names, highly, highly underused, you know? Everybody, look, anybody will name their kid Matthew and Luke. I want to know, will you name your son Shamgar? That's what I want to know. Who, who's got it? Um, but we're going to meet three people, and we're going to begin to learn, hopefully this morning, the kind of person that God uses. Uh, before we get there, though, need to do a little bit of groundwork. Probably should start with, uh, what is a judge? Probably should define the terms a little bit. What is a judge? Well, when I say judge... The thing that you probably think of is like a man or woman, sort of formal dress, maybe in a black robe, setting up front with a gavel, right? And one of the things that we need to pick up right off the bat is uh, that's not really what the biblical text is trying to get us to think of when we, when we think of judge and when we think of the judges. In fact, the Bible defines it for us. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 2, verse 16, we're kind of jumping in the middle of a text here, but... The definition is right there for us. It says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. What is a judge? A judge is a savior. 
A judge is a deliverer. So when we talk biblically, biblically speaking, when we talk about the judges, we're talking about saviors and we're talking about deliverers. Now, when I say the word savior and deliverer, who do you think of? Jesus. Yeah. And that's the right answer. That's the right answer because everybody that we're going to read about in the next couple months, they're foreshadows, they're foreshadowing and they're types of the Lord Jesus. So even this morning, Othniel and Ehud and Shamgar, they're types of Christ, but they're the shadows and they're meant to lead us to the bright light that is the Son of God. If you can hear that this morning. So what is a judge? A judge is a savior and a judge is a deliverer. Not only was a judge a savior and a deliverer, but particularly in this book, Judges almost always carry a military aspect. So there's, there's, this, there's this aspect of battle and there's this aspect of war that comes along with it as well. And the reason there's, there's war and there's battle is because the people of Israel were oppressed. And they were oppressed by foreign, by foreign peoples. They were oppressed by all these countries that lived around them and then even a few from within. And the reason they were oppressed, the reason they were oppressed is because they didn't completely do what God had asked them to do. Uh, If you guys remember the book of Joshua, Joshua says, hey, I'm giving you, the Lord says to Joshua, I'm giving you some land. I want you to go into the land and I want you to completely eradicate the land, take over. And they only did that partially. So if you remember from the first chapter of Judges, it says they went in, they began to take the land. But remember along about verse 15 or 16, it says the tribe of Benjamin did not dispossess all the people. Right there. They did not completely obey the Lord. And because of that, they end up oppressed. Um, and the reason they end up oppressed is not just because they disobey the Lord, but it's actually perhaps another reason. It's obviously ultimately disobedience, but it's disobedience that begins with compromise. So the people of God had a mandate from the Lord and ultimately compromised on it. And any time of the people of God, and that includes you and I, this is where we need to begin to read ourselves into the story. Anytime we begin to compromise, one of the things we need to know is right away is that compromise is always making peace with the enemy and compromise is always making peace and the price is oppression. Always. And this is how the people of Israel fell into compromise. They compromised three ways. The first way was they compromised geographically. They began... They began to share the geography with people that God never intended them to share the geography with. Secondly, they began to compromise socially. Because they were sharing geography with, the, with, the, with people that God never intended them to share the land with, they began to intermarry. It says in the, in the book of Judges that they began to give, give their, their sons and their daughters to the Canaanites, and they began to receive Canaanites as sons and daughters. And then that, that social Uh, compromise leads to spiritual compromise they ultimately end up sharing the canaanite gods and when when they ultimately shared the canaanite gods god says this uh, this is how judgment works in the bible god says if you would like to have the land shared and if you would like to share wives and if you would like to share gods then by all means go ahead and their gods can be your gods And not only can their gods be your gods, but their rulers can be your rulers. See, this is how judgment works in the Bible. Far and away, the judgment of God is mostly people getting what they think they want. Um, 
in the South in particular and in America, more generally speaking, most American believers believe that the judgment of God is God finding people sinning and then shoving a piano of judgment out of heaven, squashing them and laughing. And that's not what judgment is at all. Judgment is God giving people what they think they want. So the people say, well, we'll compromise. We'll share the land. And the ladies are kind of hot. We'll share the wives. And I like their gods. So we'll share their gods. And then it's God saying, if you want the land shared, and if you want to share wives and husbands, and if you want to share gods, well, then why don't you just share the king? And God removes his hand. That's what judgment is. Does that make sense? This is really important, okay? This is, if you don't get anything else this morning, I want you to grab that because that's essential. And so we might ask ourselves, why did they compromise? There's a couple reasons that the people of Israel compromised. The first reason was they were scared. Uh, they were scared to completely possess the land because to completely possess the land meant a confrontation and it meant a con- confrontation of a particular kind. It meant battle. And when you go into battle, how many of you know you could lose your life? They were scared. It's just really simple. Fear kept them in a place of compromise. And then the second reason they they compromised was very simple. They were, number one, scared. And number two, they were seduced. They were seduced. They were seduced by the Canaanite lifestyle. It's kind of cool. I like the way they live. I like their gods. Their women are beautiful. And they got seduced into a position that ultimately leads to oppression. Uh, Not only that, but there's an interesting relationship, and I'm I'm sure that most of you guys and gals have experienced this, but there's a really interesting relationship between fear and seduction. Um, Once you become afraid, uh, it is easier to be enticed by things you would never stand for any other way. When you think you might lose your life, the ladies become more beautiful. Does that make sense? When you think you might lose your life, their gods don't seem so bad anymore. And so seduction is always tied to fear. And because of that, people become oppressed. And not only that, but it says in chapter 3, the very beginning, it says, These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not previous, had previous battle experience. This is so strange. So God is, the people do not completely dispossess the land. Because of that, the scripture says that God leaves them there to test them. What's he testing them about? Like their heart again. He's testing them. Will you serve me or will you serve the gods that your neighbors serve? By the way, this wasn't ultimately God's choice, even though it reads like that in the scripture. Ultimately, it was the Israelites' choice first, and then God re-empowers it, right? It's, ju- it's how judgment works. Oftentimes, God's get, oftentimes, God gets blamed for things that are not him. Does this make sense? So, it says that he leaves these Canaanite peoples in the land doesn't drive them out to test the people. Why? Because God said, I want you to drive them out. I want you to drive them out. So you can, we can never completely distance ourselves from making compromise. And here's the problem with compromise. Compromise is always delaying an inevitable battle. You can either have the battle up front or you can have the battle later. Either way, you get the battle. And by the way, the battle later is always from a place of oppression and there's always years of pain in there that you didn't have to have. So let's have the battle up front, right? In the spirit and in the natural, there's battles here or there. In between is pain. 
Let's have the battle over here. That's what, that's what compromise does. It's settling for less than God's blessing. It's delaying an inevitable battle. So I've said all of this to say this. Um, I personally believe that we're living in uh, times of compromise. Um, and, I mean, heck, we could talk about this for hours. You guys are smart. You live with people. You know the troubles that people have. You know the troubles that you have. Uh, people come to my office. I run into people in town. And one of the things I know is that we're living in an area that's oppressed. And not just this area, but all over the world, people are living in various levels of oppression and have made various lines and ties of agreement with the spirit of the age and in doing so have lived oppressed lives of less than God's blessing. And because of that, um, the only thing that breaks through is a battle with the spirit of the, of the age to, to face it dead on. And to not do so is to live an oppressed life. So, I mean, just in our own territory, I, I can't tell you how many people that I've met in the last 15 years who are completely addicted. Maybe you know someone. Maybe you are addicted. The good news is this morning, if you are addicted, there's freedom. And the Lord could actually set you free today. But our, our region in particular, here in Taylor County, our region is uh, really, really addicted. We're really addicted to drugs, and our, our favorite drugs are prescription drugs. I can't tell you how many people I've met who have ruined their lives taking Lortabs. The, the, the really crazy thing is, is that they even know it. Can't get away from it. That's just one. Uh, how many of you all remember a couple weeks ago when we kicked this series off and uh, Andrea for 30 seconds talked about the gods of this area? Do you all remember that? For like 30 seconds. How many of you all felt it? Like as soon as she said it, you knew it was true, right? Do you all remember the first one she talked about? Self-pity. Self Hit like a brick in the room. Hit like a brick. See, the people in, in, our, in our region, they are ruled by the god of self-pity which is really just the little brother to the God of, of poverty, the spirit of poverty. Our region is depressed and, and oppressed by a spirit, of a, a, a spirit of poverty that keeps people living from a place of self-pity. There's oppression in all kinds of places. So it's the first thing. I believe that we're, that we're living in an area of oppression. And the second thing I want to tell you is this, is I believe that God wants to raise up judges in Taylor County who will go and who will throw oppression off of people through acts of courage. I don't believe that people have to be addicted to, to Lord Tabs their entire life. I don't, I don't believe that people have to take 15 pills in the morning, bomb out, and not pay attention to their kids who grow up and get pregnant at 15 and redo the cycle. I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that people have to live under the power of poverty and self-pity. I don't believe that the voice that says you can't gets to have a say forever. But what I do believe is that the only way those gods get removed is for judges to be raised up in our time in our city and in our region and for people to stand alongside the weak and the broken and to say, let me show you something else. I believe it's going to take acts of courage. So one of the things we might want to ask this morning is, who is the person that God uses? What kind of person might God anoint to be a judge to set people free? What kind of person might God anoint to be a savior and to be a deliverer? to operate under the anointing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is himself the ultimate Savior and Deliverer. Amen?
Sometimes when we think about this, when we're asking the question, what, is the kind, what kind of person does God use? Uh, does God have a type? Uh, a lot of us think in our heads, if we have any biblical training or any experience in the Bible at all, sometimes we, we default to certain prototypes and we assume that God is working within a particular system. Sometimes we think that God is only going to use the Moses types. Maybe I should grow my beard out. Maybe I should become more angry. Buy a good pair of sandals. You guys seen Evan Almighty? I watched that again last week with my kids. I love the part where God keeps... The part where he gets the beard is awesome, but the the most hilarious part to me is the part where God keeps giving him like the robes and the sandals, and he puts his suit on over it. Yeah, yeah. What is the what is the kind of person that God uses? Let me tell you some stories. Three stories from the Book of Judges. We'll start with Othniel. Uh, we'll read a little bit. Start in verse seven. The Israelites did evil in the in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord. That's so strange. How many of y'all realize this? People don't get up in the morning and go, I hate Jesus. You know what? Freaking hate Jesus. I'm done with him. They don't do that. But what people do is they forget Jesus. They forget Jesus. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God. And they served the Baals and the Asherahs. And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. So he sold them into the hands of Cushon, Rish. Athaim. Rishathim. His, his name means double wickedness, by the way. His name means double wickedness. Most likely, this was a name that he gave himself or someone in his court gave him. You know, um, you know how everybody wants a nickname? You know? <laughs> everybody wants a nickname. And the, the bad guys always have, like, the best nicknames. Yeah. And his name means double wickedness. And to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and he went to war. And the Lord gave Cushan, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him so that the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. We'll stop right there. Couple things. Um, number one, how kind is the Lord? How kind is the Lord? The people leave him, he gives them to the gods that they think they want, and when they realize that it's oppression and misery, they cry out to him, and the Lord answers their prayer. Over and over again, all through the Bible, when people cry out, the Lord answers. The truth is, if you if you cry out to the Lord, if you cry out to the Lord even this morning, he will answer you. Even if you've completely ruined your own life, even if the source of your pain is your own poor choices, if you cry out to the Lord, He will deliver you. And the Lord delivers people by raising up judges. Uh, One of the interesting things about this is that the people become oppressed, they cry out, and God sends a deliverer, and the deliverer is a person. Uh, I don't know if you realize this or not, but oftentimes when you cry out for help, the Lord has given you an answer, and it's a person. Sometimes, sometimes we're hoping 
um, we're hoping that God will answer different and we are tempted uh, to fall into magical thinking. Here's what I mean by magical thinking. I'm in pain. I begin to pray, God, will you deliver me? And I expect God to just go poof like this. And then like suddenly my bank account has a million dollars in it. My wife and I are perfectly related and my kids are acting good. That's almost never the way it happens. The answer, the answer to the deliverance prayer is almost another person. And I'm convinced it's one of the reasons that people choose pain. Because they were hoping it would not be another person. You see, bitterness, bitterness has a way of keeping you from embracing the answer of the Lord. Sometimes we're so bitter and so disappointed in people that when God raises up, the answer can be standing in front of our face. But our own bitterness and disappointments in the past keep us from seeing the answer the Lord sends to us every day. The Lord answers and delivers through people. Through people. Uh, you guys watch that, uh, that Bible series or whatever that was on not long ago on the History Channel? It was pretty good. The only thing that bugged me about the whole thing was that, is that it made everything too supernatural. Like people were shooting fireballs out of their hands. You know what? I've seen lots of miracles and none of them looked supernatural in the moment. They looked incredibly normal, but they weren't. See, the answer of the Lord oftentimes is a supernatural deliverance that looks completely normal. Completely normal. So God raises up deliverers, and the first one is Othniel. Now I want to give you, I want to talk a little bit about Othniel, because this is a little bit to answer the question, who does God use? Well, Othniel was Caleb's nephew. This is really important. Do, y'all got, do you guys remember the, the guy Caleb in the Bible? Okay, you remember when, uh, when Moses sent out the spies, right? Sent out 12 spies. Y'all remember the song? Ten were bad, two were good. Ten were bad, two were good. Was that how does it go? How does it go? I think that's it. Ten were bad. Two were good. There we go. I think I just did it. Anyway, there was two good guys, Joshua and Caleb. And everyone else said, the land is flowing with milk and honey, but there are giants in the land. They'll squash us like grasshoppers. We're dead. Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can do it. Surely we can do it. Surely we can do it. And because of their faith, God lets them go in and inherit the land. And when they go in and begin to take the land... When he's 85, when he's 85, Caleb comes to Joshua and says, I want Hebron. And Hebron is the mountain territory. And he says, I want up there when he's 85, which is to say you never get too old to take land for God. You never get too old to walk and inherit your promise from God. Like you could be 99 and tomorrow you die. There's still time to inherit something. There's still time to move in your calling. Like there's no such thing as retirement in the kingdom of heaven. Like people who are like, I just want to retire and play golf. Man, you are missing it. You are missing it. There is no retirement. There's Caleb, Hebron at 85. And so he begins to take possession of the land and he takes several cities. And then he says, maybe he was a little tired that day. He's 85. He has that choice. Then he says, there's this other city. Its name is Debir, D-E-B-I-R. And he says, I will give my daughter to anyone who takes that city. And guess who takes that city? Othniel. It's Joshua chapter 15, and it's also, the story is retold in Judges chapter 1. Now, if something's in the Bible once, mark it down. If the same story is in the Bible twice, the Lord is trying to tell us something here. What's the point here? Othniel is from the right family. Who is the person the Lord uses? The Lord, is use, the Lord will use the person who is from a, who has this rich spiritual heritage.
So Othniel was Caleb's nephew. He had a family that was steeped in faith. How many of y'all have ever grown up? Maybe some of y'all have grown up in a family like this or know a family like this. How many of you have grown up in a family that is controlled by fear? Don't do that. You'll get sick. Don't go there. There's, you'll die. Right? Some of us grew up in homes like that where everything was mitigated by a word of fear. I've seen very... Before a person who grows up in a home like that can do any great thing, they have to overcome fear. But Caleb never had that in his life. And not only did Caleb never have that in his life, but his people never had that in their lives. And so Othniel never had that. He grew up in a family where the bent of the heart was, yes, we can. If the Lord says it, yes, we can. Um, my parents got saved. I grew up in a, in a Christian home. And when I grew up, we loved Jesus. And when I was a little bit older, we began to walk in the Spirit. And walking in the Spirit, uh, we began to we began to expect more from the Lord, if this makes sense. And so we began to pray for the sick and uh, cast out devils and prophesy and preach good news to the poor. Okay? But even today, as a 35-year-old man who's been doing this for some time... There is still an aspect of when I pray for someone, the first thing I have to do is spend about 10 seconds going, they're not going to, 10 seconds dealing with the thought in my brain that says they're not going to get healed. This is a waste of time. It's my first hurdle. However, my kids, my kids don't even know that thought. I'll tell you a funny story about Seth. A few years ago, he, he was in third grade this year, last year, in second grade. His teacher is really sick. <clears throat> she comes to school anyway really sick and it in the afternoon she had finally just sort of given up and she has her head on her desk because she's so sick now um seth sees her and he knows that she's sick he sees her laying down and he pops up and he goes over and he puts his hand on her head and he says in the name of jesus be healed now he, she didn't ask him to pray for her she he he wasn't invited he just did it why did he do it because he this is just what you do like in our family we've modeled praying for the praying for healing, Seth doesn't even have to jump over the hurdle. Nothing's going to happen. Why am I doing this? He's just doing it. Do you see the promote? Like, there's momentum in the generations. Othniel was from the right family, a family with a yes we can, because the Lord says so. He was a man of valor. Not only that, but Othniel was a skilled leader, and he was already experienced in battle, and he was anointed by the Spirit. The Bible says in, in verse 10 that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went to war. How many of y'all would like to have the Holy Spirit come upon you? Now, how many of y'all want to go to war? No takers. Interesting. Listen, the, the anointing of the Spirit is always for battle. David was anointed as king over Israel, and he was anointed to fight the people's battles. So he was from the right family. He had experience, and he was anointed by the Spirit. Who does God use? He uses people from the right family. He uses people who are anointed with the Holy Spirit, and he uses people who will go out and fight battles and get experience. He... No wonder the Lord chose him as the first judge, right? Makes sort of sense. Now, let's talk about someone else. Ehud. Who does the Lord use? There's a man named Ehud. Uh, we don't know much about him, and in fact, this narrative moves really quickly. But one of the things that the, that the Bible tells us is that he was a left-handed man. This is what I think is really funny about Ehud. The Bible says he's left-handed, but he's from the tribe of Benjamin, and Benjamin means son of my right hand. <laughs> <laughs> Ehud. 
Ehud's story is one of the most hilarious, gross, disgusting stories in the whole Bible. If you're 12 years old and you're male, you're going to love this story. If you're not, hang on. Here's essentially what happens. The Israelites do evil on the side of the Lord again. He sells them into the hands of the Moabites. And there's a king. And the king of the Moabites at this time is named Eglon. And Eglon's name means little bull. The only thing was, he wasn't just a little bull. He was quite fat. He was enormous. Eglon was enormous. Giant. Eglon was a giant. He was a giant of a man. He had a belly so big. Anyway... Long story short, Ehud gets a plan. And the plan is this. I'll make a sword. I'll make a sword about this long. And I'm going to tie it to the inner part of my right thigh. And when I go in to present tribute to the king, I'm going to deliver a message. So this is what happens. Ehud takes tribute, then sends his men away then turns back to the king and says, I have a secret message from God for you. And the most important word that he just said there was secret. Because as soon as he said secret, he wins the king's heart and the king sends his court out of the room, right? If it's a secret message, they can't hear it. Ehud is very crafty. And when the king stands up to receive the word, Ehud takes his left hand, pulls the dagger off of his right thigh, and he shoves the dagger into the king's heart. And the king is so fat that his, that his fat closes around the end of the blade. It comes out his back. And the Bible says that he was disemboweled and poop went all over the floor. It's verse 22. Some people in the room just became more interested in reading the Bible. And then Ehud walks out out the door, locks it, and he makes his way for the borderland. Here's what's interesting about that. Then his servants come back to the door. It's locked. Hello, king. Are you in there? They can't rouse him, and they don't unlock the door even though they have a key because they assume that he's using the bathroom. Why would they assume that he's using the bathroom? (laughs) They can smell it. Yep, this is in the Bible. And at that point, Eglon makes it out. After, at that point, Ehud, rather, makes it out to the borders and he rouses the people of Israel and they kill 10,000 Moabites and they utterly rout them that day. And the land has peace for 80 years. And by the way, that's the longest the land has peace during, any, during the time of any of the judges. This, this victory was the longest lasting victory. So what, what might we say about Ehud? We could probably say a couple things. Uh, number one, Ehud was a prominent man, had to have been a prominent man because he's the one who was chosen to present to present the tribute to the king, right? You, you wouldn't send an idiot in. You'd send a prominent man. Not only that, but Ehud was, was a planner. Who's the person the Lord uses? Ehud was a planner. He made a blade. He tied it to his thigh. I think he had even crafted the words that he was going to say i have a secret message from god for you i think he had i think he had even thought about that how can i get alone with this guy he was a planner and um not only that but he was a man of faith it says in verse 28 he says to the people of israel follow me for the lord has given moab your enemy into your hands who's 
Whose battle was this battle? It was the Lord's, and Ehud knew it. He was a man of faith. And then not only that, Ehud was a limited man. This is, this is part that doesn't, doesn't read as well to us, but would have been picked up by anyone who lived in the ancient world. Um, one of the few details that was given to us about Ehud was that he was a left-handed man, right? Now, if you're growing up now and you're, and you're a guy and you're left-handed, especially if you want to play sports, that's an advantage. I'm left-handed. I'm, I do a lot of things left-handed. I can throw left-handed. And when I was 11, I could throw a baseball, and without trying, it would break. Left-handers just throw breaking balls. And if you're wanting to pitch, it's a great deal. You can throw curveballs without really even trying. But in the ancient world, being left-handed wasn't seen as an advantage. It was actually a disadvantage, and it was actually a limitation. In fact, one of the things that... Um, the way the Hebrew reads, if you translate it literally, uh, it doesn't read left-handed. It actually reads, he was hindered in his right hand. So we have a prominent man who's a planner, and he's courageous, he's willing to face the king along, and he's a man of faith, but he's also a limited man. To be left-handed was a limitation in those days. Anybody in here have limitations? Anybody have limitations that you're like aware of? Like, like I'm affected by my limitations. See, oftentimes we disqualify ourselves from being used by God based upon our limitations. And it's doubly true today because we live in a world that is addicted to the internet. And one of the really great things about Facebook and Instagram and Twitter is that we can connect with people. But one of the disastrous things about Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is that we're, we're living these lives of surface connections that, that empowers a spirit of comparison. And by the way, how many of you know that people don't put their weakness on Facebook or Instagram? What do they put on Facebook and Instagram? They put their victories on there, don't they? Like no one, no one goes to, no one goes, no one goes to Burger King and orders, you know, a crappy Burger King burger and takes a picture of it. What food do people put on Instagram? Jeff Ruby's. $70 cowboy ribeye. That's what goes on Instagram. What am I getting at here? Part of what happens in modern life is that we are comparing ourselves with other people and, and only comparing ourselves with their fake, beautiful, perfect life and in doing so, disqualifying ourselves from being able to be a person who could be used by God. Does this make sense? This happens all the time, by the way. Uh, for instance, <clears throat> people who are called to preach will oftentimes only compare themselves against the world's best preachers who have been doing it for 60 years. By the way, uh, if, you want some, if you want to hear something really fun, you ought to go listen to a Bill Johnson sermon from about 20 years ago. It's hilarious. He's not as good. Twenty years ago, Bill Johnson wasn't that great. But we but comparison has a way of removing the process that God gives us grace for. We take it away from ourselves, and in doing so, we remove the ability for God to use us. Sometimes the interactions that we have with people make us feel our own inadequacies and our own insecurities and our own limitations all the more vigorously. Ever get around somebody really, really smart and feel so dumb? Like they're not even trying to make you feel dumb, but just the sheer volume of intelligence they has, have make you feel like an idiot and you're like, I just forget it, I'm done. 
that happens to me quite often. Yeah. Where's that coming from, by the way? Or maybe you have, maybe you're a person in the room who really does have a real legitimate limitation. One of the things that the story of Ehud is telling us is that there are no limitations before God. He can take your weakness and work it to strength. Paul says that when I'm weak, he is strong. Of all the things I've learned in the, in the 20 years of being on staff at a church and doing ministry, of all the things I've learned most profoundly, you listen to me right now. <laughs> This is the money, all right? (laughs) Going next level on you people. But of all the things I've learned most profoundly from the Lord, it's that when, when I'm weak, He really is strong. And... And when I begin to move in my strength is the very moment that the Lord will back up and let me fail. Weakness isn't weakness with the Lord. just isn't. And then there's a last guy. His name is Shamgar. One verse. Let's put it up. <laughs> last guy in chapter 3. After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox code. He too saved Israel. Shamgar is really interesting. Who is the person that the Lord uses? Well, he uses people like Shamgar. And we can learn a couple things from Shamgar right away. Uh, Number one, the name Shamgar was not an Israelite name. It was actually a Canaanite name. And Anath, his father, Anath is the name of one of the Canaanite gods who was the god of sex and war. And one of the things that that tells us right off the bat is that God has raised up someone who is not from the club to do the fighting for the club. He is raising up people who are outside of the family, supposedly outside of the blessing, and He's beginning to anoint them with the blessing. And then I love this next part. It says, He struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goat. Anybody in the room know what an ox goat is? Yeah. I didn't know till this week either. It's about, it's a staff anywhere from six to eight feet long. On one end, it's about six inches round with a point. On the other end, it's like a chisel. And um, these guys would take it and they would beat their oxes and poke them so they could plow the fields. And then the chisel part was for cleaning off the plow. What does that tell us? This tells us that, that Shamgar was a peasant. That he wasn't rich. And he wasn't from the right family. In fact, he's the exact opposite of Ehud. He's the exact opposite of Othniel. Who is the person that God uses? Well, He'll use you if you're an Othniel from the right family, but He'll also use you if you're a Shamgar from the wrong club. Not only that, He'll use you if you're Ehud, a man of prominence and probably some wealth who can go in and talk before the king, but He'll also use you if you're a Shamgar and you're just out plowing the fields. The fact that He killed 600 Philistines with an ox goat tells us that this probably wasn't a planner. This was probably spontaneous. How many of you know you don't go into battle with an ox goad? If you have a choice, you bring a sword. See, Shamgar was the exact opposite of Othniel. Othniel from the right family. Shamgar from the wrong family. He's the exact opposite of Ehud. 
Ehud was a planner. Shamgar is spontaneous. Not only that, but it says he killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Um, one of the things that I hear in that is that the Lord is using our history to prepare us for the future. He's using the things that are at hand to become a weapon to set people free. Uh, sometimes we have this mindset that says that when God uses me, it's going to be a whole, a whole lot different from the life I'm living right now. And the truth is, He's probably just going to anoint what you're already doing. Shamgar was a farmer. God didn't take him out of farming. He just put, his, he put the ox gold to new use. Some of us in the room are like, well, you know, I'll be used by God when I can go, when I can go to seminary. No, you could, you could actually be used by God right now. Who, who is the person that God uses? Who is the person that God uses? The truth is that God uses everyone and He doesn't have a type. He uses Othniels. He uses Ahuds, men and women of limitation. And He also uses Shamgars. Poor peasant farmers who spontaneously kill the enemy with the tools of the trade. That's who God uses. And I actually, be, I actually believe that the Lord wants to raise up people all over the room right now. He wants to raise up people all over the room to be judges for Taylor County, to be judges for Central Kentucky, to be freedom fighters, and to be deliverers and saviors for the oppressed. And He wants to do it using the things that you've already been into, using the tools that you already know, and using the experience and the life and the family that you already have. A couple more things I want to emphasize. Three things in particular. Number one, um, it's God who does the raising up. We can't raise ourselves up. We read the scripture already this morning, but... In Judges chapter 2, verse 16, it says, And the Lord raised up judges. The Lord wants to raise up every single person in the room, but you can't raise yourself up. If you raise yourself up, you become a part of the wrong spirit. If you, if you partake in self-promotion, you'll actually work for the enemy rather than against him. It's the Lord who raises people up. David didn't choose to be king. God chose him. And what this tells us is, is that um, there, there, are some, there are some implications to leadership. Leadership is always something that God raises up. It's not something that people gather for themselves. People who gather for themselves are scattered by the wrong spirit. And so God raises up leaders all the time. Uh, part of the implication is this, is that to the degree that we can partner with, join our hearts to, and... Um, come alongside the leaders that God gives us is the degree to which we're actually coming alongside the Lord. Paul says in, in Romans chapter 13 that all authority comes from heaven and that God will use it for His purposes. Did you know that every single mayor who is mayor in Kentucky right now has been grounded and established by the Lord? Even those who seem evil? God is working something for His own purposes. This is, where the, where, this is where that mystery thing comes in, into play. This is where the mystery of the Lord really does come into play. This is, where, this is where issues of God's sovereignty and people's own choices come into play. But it's clear from the Scriptures. God is the one who gives authority. 
God is the one who gives authority. So you can't raise yourself up. You've got to let God raise you up. Number two, uh, God is raising up all sorts of people, and He's raising them up in all kinds of places, so let's not be jealous. See, a lot of times what happens is we will get jealous when God raises someone else up because we assume that when He raises them up that He is at the same time rejecting us. We've got to stop, we've got to stop reading promotion from the Lord as rejection for us. That is, the, that is the devil's way of interpreting promotion and leadership in someone else's life. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, Jephthah, who is a judge that we're going to read about in a few weeks, Jephthah is a judge, and he was alive, and he was a judge at the same time that Samson was. Did you all know that? What's the point? The point is that God raises people up. People can't raise themselves up. And that, that there is actually room for judges to be contemporary. That God has given everyone a particular sphere. He wants to raise you up inside of that sphere. He wants to give you influence inside of that sphere. There's no reason for us to be jealous about someone else's sphere. To the degree that we become jealous about where God is working in someone else's life is the degree to which we are negating and, and forfeiting what God wants to do in your own life where you're at. And from what I can tell, Jephthah and Samson were never jealous of one another. we got to get that. And then third, God raises up people so they can serve. The judges were deliverers. They were risk takers. They were, appealing, they were people who were willing to take a courageous stand for the oppressed. And here's the deal. Church, if you're free, it's so that you can free other people. And if you want to be, if you want to be a freedom fighter, if you want to partner with the Lord to see deliverance come to to our region, it means that you're going to have to be courageous. I've read the Bible. One of the things I can't find in the Bible are, are cowards. Cowards don't make it in the Bible. The Bible is a collection of stories about the courageous. And maybe you have fears this morning, but here's what courage is. Courage is just, is just fear that said its prayers. Everybody's scared, but we've got to say at some point in our life, my fears will not control me. The word of the Lord will, and I will press on past them. That's what it is. The Bible, there's no records of cowards. There are records of people who start off cowards and end up courageous. And that's you and me. And so if we want to partner with the Lord to, to be a freedom fighter, if we want to partner with the Lord to see people be released, we have to be willing to be people who are courageous. God wants to inject courage into His church. You realize that Peter was the guy who ran away and three times said, I don't know who that man is talking about Jesus. Denied him three times. A few short days later, Peter is standing in front of a massive crowd, probably 15,000, 20,000 people. And he looks at him and he says, he was the Lord Jesus and you guys murdered him. The very guys who were yelling crucify, Peter stands in front of them. A few days later, when he ran away from those people, he stands in front of them and he says, you guys murdered him. That's courage. That's what it's going to take. It's going to take some men and women in our town to get courage and say, you know what? It's not okay for people to be trapped in addiction. It's going to take courage for people to stand up and go, it's not okay for people in our town to be trapped in poverty. It's going to take people in our town who are willing to roll the dice and say, you know what, it's not okay that people in our town don't have what, they, what God intends them to have. It's not okay. When that gets in your heart, God will begin to promote you. And finally... Um, last thing I want to say this morning is that we're all being refined for the moment that God raises us up. If you're in a difficult time, uh, embrace it. Difficulty is always for refinement. 
there is a theology that is rampant in the church that says everything that is difficult, we should run away from it and ask God to, de- and ask God to deliver us from it. And there's an aspect of that that's true. But there's also an aspect of that God is using sometimes, he is using difficulties to grow a hardened, steely heart that has resolve because he actually wants to place you into a greater difficulty. Encouraging words from Pastor Adam. <laughs> Think it's bad now? In, let me encourage you. It's going to get worse. The Lord, the Lord wants to take you through difficult times so that He can place you in even more difficult times. He wants to, he wants to harden your resolve. He wants to harden your resolve. In chapter 3, at the very beginning, remember we read it, He said He left the Canaanites in the land. Why? So that everyone would learn about war. I'm here to tell you this morning that the Lord wants to teach every man and woman in this room about war. He wants to teach every man and woman in this room about not relenting. And difficulty is for refinement. We can pray for deliverance. That's good. We can pray for God to come and help us. We should. And you know what? He will. But oftentimes we should pray that He gives us strength to go through. Because because everyone in the Bible who is an overcomer overcame something. That's the problem with being an overcomer. You have to overcome something. That's the problem with being a freedom fighter. You have to fight something. I don't want to go into a battle unless I've been trained for war. So good news this morning. The Lord is using even our difficulties to strengthen our resolve. And by the way, don't hear when I say the Lord is using our difficulties to strengthen our resolve. Don't hear the Lord is the author of difficulty. That would also be a mistake. Uh, difficulties are difficulties belong to us. We are the author of difficulties. God will use your poor choices to strengthen your resolve to place you into something even crazier that you can deliver. Does that make sense? Yeah. The problems in Israel in the book of Judges, those weren't God's doing. They were Israel's doing. And God used them to strengthen their resolve. Amen? Amen. Hey, why don't you all stand up this morning?